Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host for this evening, Craig Fowler, and I am joined down the line by the Jake Peralta and Adrian Pimento of the Terrace. It is Robert Borthwick and Tony Anderson. Hello. Hello. How are we doing, everyone? You all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yourself, Tony, I know you're in there. You're still, we're supposed to be at yours, Tony, but we couldn't because you didn't want to give us the plague, basically. Yeah, I've been in a bad way. I've not I've not left the house apart from to take my bins out since Derby Day uh, on, on the second. And I'm still not feeling great, but I thought I'd give something a little try. And this is the first time I've been in front of my laptop since the 23rd of December <laughs> as well. The last time I was outside, the last thing I remember was queuing outside the Roseburn uh, before the Derby and an ambulance coming towards coming towards us and I had the blue flashing lights but then the guy beeped the horn and celebrated towards Hibs fans he was coming back <laughs> yeah, so I was just pissing myself imagine someone dying in the back and he's like dun, 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 um, and that was the last time I was happy just uh, <laughs> God God bless our first responders that's all I can say <laughs> and Rob, how are you? Yeah, I'm, I'm fine, mate. I'm fine. I probably had a little bit too much to drink at the weekend, didn't I? Didn't I? But uh, otherwise, I'm fine, mate. I'm just, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. How are you? Are you fine? Yeah, I was actually all right today. We were, uh, for the those who don't know, myself and Rob were in each other's company on both Saturday night and most of Sunday. And many, many, many pints did flow. And I actually think I felt worse on Sunday morning than I did yesterday. Sorry, then I did when I woke up today. Oh yeah, no, like I woke up today and I was all right. Um, it was just I um, Sunday. Sunday took it out of me a wee bit. Uh, had to I had to have a couple of fresh orange lemonades uh, before getting a pint of strongo. So I like doing that. I like coming when you need to straighten up before going back on it. I'm 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 normally a pint of Pepsi guy out the draft gun, uh, and then I feel magical after that, and then. Have twelve pints and go back to square one. Would you would you take Coca Cola instead of Pepsi, or does it have to be Pepsi? I do in this scenario. 
this very specific pub scenario. I do like the uh, Pepsi out of a gun. I do like I like soft drinks in general out of a uh, draft. I always think that they're much better. You do actually get your your thirst quenched from it. Um, when sometimes just out of cans and stuff, it can be a, like too sweet or too much syrup. Diff- different drinks suit different containers. <laughs> like Iron Brew glass bottle is peak. For Diet Coke, has to be a can. Uh, I'd agree with you with a few in terms of the gun. I think Sprite is at his best out of a gun. And other drinks are available. <laughs> and obviously beers, like like Tenants, is so much better in a pint than it is in a can. Yeah. It's like untrue. I'm not sure if Robert can really comment on this stuff, but uh, it's like just it's just so much better. Is there any, I was going to say, is there any beer that's better out of a can, but maybe Red Stripe? Yeah. Yeah, Red Stripe is the ultimate canned lager. But anyway, we're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about Scottish football from the past weekend, and in particular the Scottish Premiership, as we will run through the six games which took place, four on Saturday, two on Sunday. And let's begin with one of those matches. It was the earlier kickoff. It was Motherwell against Hibs. We're going to start by looking at the teams at the bottom of the table in this show and Tony will get to Hibs soon enough. Good victory for Hibs. Keeps Lee Johnson the job a bit longer. Good for Kevin yeah. this bit to get his hat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Good for Kevin this bit to get his hat trick. Bit more confidence for him. He's looked pretty sharp since coming back from injury, and that can only be a good thing for Hibs. And he might, by himself, just keep Hibs's heads above water in terms of maybe getting sucked into a relegation battle themselves. But Tony, it has to be said, Motherwell. Oh boy, they are bad. It's just um, in terms of a, a football match. It's just like everything that you love. It's like you know you, you build up the big games when the good teams are going up against each other and and thinking it's going to be exciting. But often that can become so everyone gets cancelled out. I think anyone who watched so English football uh, maybe a decade or fifteen years ago that seemed to always happen uh, when the big teams played each other on Super Sunday. What you need is two teams who can't defend for shit and whose confidence is absolutely rock bottom, and then you get that because. I mean, like, don't get me wrong, some of the finishes in the game from both Motherwell and, and, and from Kevin Nisbet are, are really, really good. But you can go through every single goal and there's not an error that you have to go looking far from. It's absolutely glaring. And I think the sort of the main culprit has to be Solholm, who was just a, abysmal for, for, for Motherwell. Is um have you ever have you ever watched people playing blind football? Um <laughs> And it's like, and it's like they, they, obviously they're, they're blind, but they're wearing blindfolds as well, and the ball's got a bell on it. So you basically like you, you follow the sound of the bell, and it's like you know that's that's kind of how you do it. He looked like one of those guys, uh, especially for that first goal when he was just five yards deeper than everyone else, marking Ricky Lamy. And I was like, nothing makes sense. Kevin Nisbet had the freedom of Far Park to take a touch. I mean, I fancy myself with that amount of time to put in the back of the net. He's in between the goals. He's in basically in the six-yard box. <laughs> and Saunders Solholm is just sort of standing there like he's lost, like he's glitched in a game of FIFA. It was, it was remarkable. And that wasn't just a one-off for Motherwell. Their defending was bad throughout. And that is a, a defence that, you know, previously you look at Ricky Lamy is was decent enough to, to sort of renege on his deal to go to Dundee. Motherwell were really keen to keep him. He stayed. He's looking at a shadow of the man that he was. There's no confidence in that defence whatsoever. And that's showing week in, week out. It's, it's brutal. And it's even that sort of 
cancers written along to, to Penny, who's been like, who's been what seemed like a good signing for Motherwell, especially in a technical sense. I've always been really impressed with watching the, his ball play, but he just completely switches off. I mean, you, you and you a player who's, who's who's come into good form, but he's. He's a guy who just does the same thing all, over and over again. You know, he, he's really direct. He he might come inside, he might go outside, but he always wants to take you on. He always wants to go, and he always wants to get him behind. So he just completely switches off. And Porteous, it's, it's a really clever free kick, but Penny's twisting and shouting all over the place. There, he, he, he's got twisted blood, and then and Yuan goes, and it's the and it's the most simple sort of tapping that you're that you're ever going to see. And that was because that was when the game the game had switched. Then I mean, Hibs Hibs lost a lot of momentum when when. Josh Campbell had to get moved to right back and and in the three positions he played, that was clearly the one he had the, the most issues in himself as an individual. But Hibs were just gifted that second goal. And that's where that's that moment is exactly where Motherwell lost that match. So what do we think to Motherwell in their current situation under Stevie Hamill? Because Motherwell fans, and typically this just happens in football if you're going to lose games and fans are going to become less keen on the manager that just goes without saying really <laughs> but there is an aspect of it where he is still being hamstrung by the fact that he was brought in at a very late juncture it was after the the European debacle against Sligo he didn't have too many time he, he did he brought in a, a handful of players but obviously he's still working with a lot of Graham Alexander's deck and we know that that was not the best of hands either so there is an aspect to it, but it's got to be worrying the fact that they are regressing at such an almighty, alarmingly... <laughs> Hang on, I used the wrong word there. They're regressing at an alarming pace. There you go. That's a proper sentence, Craig. Rob, now you talk. I think um, Stevie Hamill, because he's... In, basically, because he's Stevie Hamill, there's, there's sort of credit in the bank there. And I think that early performances, when maybe results weren't going their way, um, they were still able to to put in performances that are sort of fitting of the Motherwell jersey, and certainly the Motherwell fans saw that as well. The rate at which they're regressing is a serious issue just now. I think you need to give them that time to, and obviously Motherwell aren't exactly spoiled with riches to, to completely rip the squad up, but they need to give them this month, I feel, to, to try and do something, to try and arrest how bad they are at the back, um, how impotent they are going forward as well. Um, you know, you look at, it was Shields uh, on on one wing, and and he's you know for all the, the love and intent in the world, he's he's just hasn't really done it in a in a Motherwell top. Kevin Van Veen can't do everything by himself, and I think that you know Stevie Hamill is basically trying to make a, a a Motherwell team similar to the ones that he played in. When you've got those two rapid wingers who can get down the line, get the ball into the big man up front, who can put it in the back of the net, that's just not working at the moment with the the, the personnel that they've got in there. They've still got good players like. I'd, I quite like Goss. Like, like he's got a great left foot. He can create from deep, but he needs the players alongside him who can then allow him to do that. And right now, Slattery, Cornelius, anyone that you want to put in there isn't really allowing him that time and space as well. So it just it's kind of broken back to front at the moment for Motherwell. You know, you can hang your hat on Liam Kelly, great goalkeeper, but other than that, you've got Kevin Van Veen and a bunch of guys who aren't bad footballers but are performing badly at the moment. And that's something that is of real concern to Motherwell. Like I say, they, they did enough towards the start of the season that they're not, you know, completely adrift at the bottom now. But it's relegation form and it's relegation performances that they're putting in just now. And that's that's got to be of a, a big concern. But I'd still give Stevie Hamill a month and see what he can do with it. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. 
It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you're, when you're as soft as what Motherwell are, and it, and it doesn't get more amplified is when they basically play the other team that's just as soft as them at this moment and and that, that other team's able to to cope with a bit of the bad times Hibs were able to to get through some of them I, I thought some of the decisions I've been a bit perplexed as why he keeps on going with Shields since he since he got McKinstry and I've not really understood it and, and people seem to think that Shields and Van Veen are, are, are a good partnership I, I've never really found that I think Shields puts in a lot of work but Van Veen sort of treats them with disdain and doesn't doesn't really want to play with them whatsoever and and that means that they don't link up properly at, 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 in key moments and like Rob Rob's saying about like the way that he used to play he's brought with the wingers out there, like classic Motherwell, he's got McKinstry in there. And Cadden was at right back for Hibs. And yes, he brought McKinstry on and, and he caused Josh Campbell a lot of problems. But Cadden's had poor form in a defensive sense. I mean, going forward, Cadden's always been a good outlet for Hibs, including even recently. But defensively, he's been looking really, really vulnerable. And I still think that McKinstry would have been a much better bet from the start going up against Cadden even before the injury and they would have got a, a lot more joy out of that. And when I'll give a bit of credit to, to Johnson is I, I think he spotted just about in time uh, that Campbell was having a, a real torrid time and Hibs needed to do something out there. I know Campbell plugged a gap out there. I really do think the game, the momentum completely shift. Hibs, when they moved Campbell out there, suddenly Hibs were weakened in, in two separate positions in an instant. In, in the centre midfield and a right back, but putting Lewis Stevenson out there, bringing Cabraja in, who made his, of course, his, his, his own error for, for, for uh, Motherwell's second goal, uh, and then bringing Hanlon on. He, he made a lot of change at one time, and I think there was the whole world was ready with their tweets uh, right before it all happened, but actually he moved Portsmouth to the midfield, and that basically won the game. There he, he, he managed to step in, and Hibs scored a, a, a pretty good sort of, counter-attacking goal at that point for Kevin Nisbet's hat-trick, which Campbell with a really good pass, but then Solholm again, just like the first time, just stops. It's completely static. It does, doesn't look like he, he wants to, to play. Like you're, You've got to be involved, sir. You're, you're you're on the park. You've got to react to other people around you. And like with the first goal, with Solholm to go back to it, um, like Lamy passes Nisbet on to Solholm. You see him physically do it, and Lamy can't believe it when he turns around and sees that Nisbet scored. And Solholm hasn't moved a muscle from the second that he, that he passed them on. So, from a Motherwell point of view, you, it's it'd be I'd be petrified right now going at that because Hibs probably could have scored more as well. They could have got him behind more. Um, but in terms of Hibs, the difference that that Porteous makes, you see it with the big blocks at the end. You see with the way that he, he sort of pushed Hibs forward when he got moved in a midfield position and then suddenly he's able to make just such a massive difference in, in more than one position uh, and the difference you see between that and, and, and see the derby when when he's missing is is absolutely massive for, for Hibs. Rob, can you possibly remember and perhaps imitate the noise that the four of us made simultaneously in the pub when it looked like, due to the TV camera angle, that Ryan Poch's late interception was going to go right into the bottom corner? It was it was something along the lines of ah! 
Like that. <laughs> <laughs> all, all, all four of us watching that together were just trying to blow the ball into the back of the net. <laughs> um, but hey, listen, if, if we're being honest, looking at it from the different angles, great defender from Ryan Porches. He gets enough on the ball to take it away from the feet of Van Veen. And yeah, it's, it's really good defending. But no, I, I'd so wish that I'd gone in the back of the net, man. I would have lost my mind. <laughs> Tony, you're now going to have to suffer through Lee Johnson's interviews for at least another week he's, he's stop talking himself. for one second man one <laughs> second I'm a guy who likes the sound of my own voice so like, please don't get me wrong but I, mean, I think the journalists of the country need to do everyone a favour and just not put the mic in front of them for two minutes we're, just we're give, give him a day off give him a day that. off I feel like he's the one who phones up for the interviews. He Tony, goes looking for them. Tony, he fills papers like nobody else. He, I'm sure. <laughs> even after after the game at the weekend, after the game on Sunday. So it's typical for. So I wasn't at the game, but I've, I've, I was back to work today. So I learned about what the plan was for today and what we've got planned for the rest of the week. And there was Johnson stuff that was usually when it's a manager after the game, that's it. Like you'll use the manager quotes right away and then you'll take a player. And then the player quotes will usually be saved for another day and you can sometimes get extra and you can maybe plan it so that you've got stuff to fill papers for like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday kind of thing. Well, Lee Johnson, he is definitely not the first time this has happened. So there was post-match quotes from him. And then I think there's going to be more like tomorrow's paper or maybe the day after because he spoke for that long again after the game. So no, we're, we're not going to tell Lee Johnson to stop. He makes our lives so much easier. Lee, I hope if you're listening, I hope you have the job for life. <laughs> for for uh, many reasons, uh, bye. So, um, the, but the way Eden McGeady spoke uh, when when given the opportunity wild. to back his manager Absolutely doesn't fill you wild. with a lot of uh, with a lot doesn't fill you with a lot of confidence that the the the, the players are fully behind them. <laughs> does, anyway. that, does that performance show he's still a good manager? It's such an easy question. You go, yeah, it does. His track record speaks for himself. He's managed the championship in England and done a good job. The players are fully behind them and it will remain that way or, or something along those lines and that's all you need to do and yeah Eddie McGeady was instead like oh it's not to do with me it's not to do with me we're the managers we'll just keep trying to win Talk, talk, talk about McGeady though. I mean, he made a big difference, I think, to the Hibs front line. I, like, just it's just bringing in a bit of quality. Um, he he doesn't have the same pace he was before, but his drop of the shoulder would take him away for for two players at a time. He makes the right decisions in the front areas, and it would have been interesting to see a Hibs team with him and this bit and boiling it. I think they would have um, sort of dovetailed quite nicely as a trio uh, and all sort of complemented each other. But but we'll never see it. And with Johnson, who knows what's what's going to happen next? It's an absolute roller coaster, um, one that sort of goes down a lot longer than it goes up, though. It's like the oblivion. Um, but. <laughs> Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But Hibs, I still think there needs to be a lot of changes in terms of the lineup. I mean, I could sit here for hours and start talking about Hibs. I mean, I'll let I'll let the actual Hibs podcast do that uh, when they want to go into detail about the the off the pitch and stuff. I mean, I'm sure I'll get the opportunity to do that when some bonkers thing happens and fill their phones me and we can go into more detail. Well, one club staring into the oblivion are Ross County, who remain bottom of the table. An opportunity on Saturday to put pressure on the teams immediately above them, that being Motherwell and Dundee United, as they too were playing on the Sunday, but they didn't, despite having some chances, despite having the majority of the play, at least in the, the first 60 minutes of the match, while the game was still in the balance, they lost 2-0 at home to Livingston, a Bruce Anderson double. And Rob, it's not looking great for County at the moment, isn't it? This was one of those games where 
for a team that's struggling, you actually play well. And at home as well this season, which they've really toiled to pick up many points at home this campaign, which again is not a great thing for a team struggling at the wrong end of the table. But to play so well, to not even score and to lose in the manner they did, it's got to be so disheartening and very worrying if you're a county fan. Aye, the milk is in the mud. <laughs> but um, no, Ross County, like, like, it, talking earlier on about Motherwell, um, you know, performances and results haven't been, there's no synergy there between the two. This was very much the case on, on Saturday for Ross County, who actually played fine. You know, the, the, the first half was not a non-event, but certainly there wasn't an, an awful lot in terms of goal mouth action. There was a lot of sort of scrapping in the midfield. Uh, Omeonga, uh, Kankola, all these guys just sort of doing their best to try and get the ball forward, be the water carrier. Nothing really properly coming off. The second half, it burst into life. And Ross County played some lovely football. They, they created some really, really good chances when you think, right, okay, so maybe the forward line is going to kick into action and that'll be what sort of drags them away from where they're headed. But it's not really the case because Jordan White, for all the you know the effort and, and running that he puts into it, the hold-up play that he has, he's never going to be an out-and-out goal scorer. And Ross County, a team like Ross County, needs an out-and-out goal scorer to survive. Regan Charles Cook last season was that guy. They had someone that they could say, right, that's where the goals are coming from. Right now, the vast majority of the chances that they're creating are going to midfielders. And it's midfielders that don't have a great record in front of goal. Cancola's chance, uh, I mean, that would have been one of the goals of the weekend, if not, you know, one of the goals of the season had it come off. Lovely flow and move down the left-hand side, flick back to him, he takes a wonderful touch, completely takes uh, Sean Kelly out of the game, and then taps it wide. And you're like, right, okay, that's fine. They're creating stuff, though. This is going to be fine. Ball goes to Ross Callahan in the box, another midfielder. He spins on it, hits the shot, straight at the goalkeeper, Shamal George, who, who made a couple of decent saves, actually, throughout the game. But you're looking at that and you're saying, right, why isn't Awura Edwards on the end of that? Why isn't Hywula on the end of that? Why isn't that Jordan White? Because essentially those guys are doing a good job in creating space for players that then can't convert chances. And if you can't do that and you've got at the other end of the park, Bruce Anderson, who, as we've known for the past couple of years, since he went to Livingston, when he's fit and firing, he's so dangerous because he, he just runs at you. He goes at you, he picks up good positions. And when when he scores one, he tends to go on a wee purple patch and score a few. And unfortunately for Ross County, he scored two in the same game. The defending was poor, piss poor, to be honest, from that uh, Ross County back line for both goals. You look at it, there's a lot of experience in there with Yakoviti, with Watson, with uh, Connor Randall at right back as well. But Randall, for the for the second goal, he's, he's backpedalling. He's, I have no idea what he's doing. He essentially allows Bruce Anderson onto his good foot and then he fires it into the bottom corner. And it's those, those differences. If he can't score at one end, at least try and defend for your lives when you're down the bottom of the table. They weren't able to do either of those things. And despite a decent performance, they come out with absolutely nothing, not even just nothing, but a really demoralising loss as well against a team that hasn't had form recently. Livingston haven't won in ages until that match. And you kind of forget that about Livingston because they, you know, unlike Oblivion, uh, theirs is, is more like a sort of merry-go-round where they bob up and down the whole time and, and you just sort of, you just notice that it's there. Um, and Livingston, you know, had had a deceptively bad run of form, but there's no better team to play just now than Ross County because you know that they're really, they've got nothing going forward and defensively, if you pressure them, you're going to get big opportunities, good opportunities, and if you can put them away, it's three points and and up the road. So it's pretty perilous. Uh, I, I know that goes without saying for the team that's bottom of the table just now. But, you know, besides all that, Ross County started last season like, uh, you know, slower than a, a ferry taken out of port. 
But they ended up picking up enough points to just about get European football, which is how tight this league is. This season, there just seems to be a difference. There's a, a missing spark somewhere. There's no spark, actually, uh, in that in that Ross County team right now, which is why, you know, it's it's looking... They've got to be thankful that Motherwell are currently in the form that they're in because that's someone they can target to try and pull back into it. But it's, it's looking bad for County. There was a good article about the game that I wrote. I can't remember the name of the journalist, so I apologise for that. But it was in the, the Rothschild Journal, and it was three things, basically, to notice for this match. And one point that was made was, and kind of to further expand on your point, Rob, about the, the lack of ability in the front three to score goals, is also the fact that Awura Edwards in this game was playing on the left. Now, he's playing on the right for most of the season, but he's playing on the left because they don't really have a forward player who's left-footed at least one who's good enough to actually play in the game. George Harmon and I think Iacovitti are their only left-footed players in the team and they're both defenders. So Edwards, so the Kankoa chance was actually a rare moment of Edwards crossing with his left foot because usually he cuts back inside and therefore makes him a bit more predictable. And he crosses that one with his left foot, it works out, and you think, well, maybe do that more often. But he is right-footed and you see it later on with Livingston's second goal. It's his cross with his weaker left foot that's a daisy-cutter it trickles along the ground. It makes it so easy for Andrew Shinney as opposed to having to clear it first time out for a throw-in in all likelihood or just getting it up the park. He's able to take a touch and knock a ball forward for Bruce Anderson to run onto and that then leads to the goal. So there's, there's even further aspects of their attack that's a huge issue at this moment in time. It's just... And even Awura Edwards himself. He's... Jordan White plays pretty much every week. Jordan White... Not the best of players, but we know what he's there for. We know what uses he has. What has Edwards really done this season? He does probably still deserve to be the second man down in that front three. But what has he actually done this campaign in terms of like goals and assists? Really not an awful lot at all. No, he's, he, he had a good half against Hearts that time. I know, yeah, he, yeah. He, did, he did, and he nearly scored an absolute wonder goal. And I was like, oh, this boy is going to be good. Uh, fast forward six months, and I'm, I'm very much doubting myself. But he, he's one of these guys that's like... <laughs> <laughs> he's the definition of like a, a YouTube hype video of like, oh, you'll see him skinning folk and being dead fast. And you're like, oh my God, this guy's going to be good. And then it's like, it, the one thing missing from the blurb on YouTube is uh, goals and assists because he just doesn't get anything. <laughs> it's like, I'll be Edwards skills 2022. Yeah, cool. But it, like, it's because the other stuff doesn't really exist. And, you know, that can change. Regan Charles Cook, it changed for him. You know, he, he wasn't a, a world beater, although to be fair, he played at Wigan. He was a footballer. Yeah, no, he, he played at wing-back or full-back to start with, and they're like, oh, no, we're going to put you as a winger. Um, so there is that. And also, it's like George Harmon, I like him. He he actually, he's probably got more goals this season than Edwards does. Uh, I'm pretty sure. He does get forward well from left-back, but Levy were able to pin him back well enough that it basically it didn't nullify him completely, but it didn't allow him to get forward and be that left-footed outlet. But it's really interesting what you said, Phil. There is a lack of balance in that team just now. And, and I mean, that that's probably the missing piece is a left footer, a proper chalk on the boots left winger who can get down there and get the balls into the box that Jordan White feeds off on. You see his goals. He's good. He's very adept at stepping in between two centre-halves, using his height and power and putting it in the back of the net. Ross County aren't providing that for him just now. They're providing low crosses into the box that midfielders are running onto. The midfielders can't score for shit. So there's, there's big issues, glaring issues. Yeah, they brought Callahan back into the team there 
uh, and, and he was doing a lot better than what I've seen him previously in terms of trying to take White's position in the centre when, when White peels off. But he'll need to get his finishing boots on. And to be frank, Callahan's not brought his side of the bargain. I'm not saying that he's been completely poor uh, at, at Ross County, but I don't think he's brought his side of the bargain of when they signed him. They signed him specifically to be the, the goal-scoring midfielder that can maybe get them eight or nine goals. Because I think sometimes you need to spread, you need a couple of avenues to goals with these types of teams because it's fucking really hard for them to get a striker who's going to score 15, for example. You are maybe going to end up with a Jordan White type player who's probably more a facilitator, but he might get seven. Then between two guys, you might get 16, 17 goals there um, that you can sort of hang your hat on and can get you the points that you need to to move into other parts of the league. But um, either they're 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 still they're, they're pretty dreadful every time I watch Ross County now. I, I I would I would really worry about them. But shout out to Bruce Anderson, absolutely brilliant man. What a well, player! That's what I was going to come on to say to you, Tony. One of your favourites, Bruce Anderson, having another excellent game. And not just I watched some of this. I watched basically I watched the like time three speeds, but I would slow it down whenever there was a chance, and then go <laughs> go back and look at how the chance happened. Which is uh, how, how good does Edwards look in that? <laughs> absolutely brilliant. <laughs> So I, I did see some of this and I watched it up until 2-0 and basically anything that decent Levy did as an attacking force really, Bruce Anderson was involved. The, the point in the first half, because they really kind of struggled out of the gates, took about 25, maybe even 30 minutes before Levy even got going at all. And the first chance is good play from Anderson, gets on a, picks up a loose ball, pushes the tempo, gets a, makes a strong run at the box. Uh, sorry, gets out wide, then makes a strong run at the box and, and has a... A chance that I think is eventually saved by the goalkeeper as he's pushed wide. But even then, the, the disallowed goal, Anderson is involved in that, winning the ball back, knock, blinking play, knocking it wide. The And then obviously the, the two goals as well, where it's a very nice finish for the first one and the second one, it's just all him, really, with Stephen Kelly. And this was an interesting thing about Livingston's play that I did also notice that Andrew Shinney was in the centre of the park while Stephen Kelly was on the left. And I think Kelly did pretty well to, to link with Anderson. You could kind of see the thinking because Kelly is a, a stronger runner than Andrew Shinney and a more willing runner as well and just kind of more more dynamic player in general, I would say. And I think that dynamism really helped. And you could see it with the third goal, sorry, the second goal. It's terrible play from County's defence, but you can see that they are held back a little bit because Stephen Kelly's making that strong run on the outside, whereas not entirely sure whether Shinny would have had the, the legs to keep up as much with Anderson as Kelly did. And so, yeah, it ended up being a pretty decent tactical manoeuvre from David Martindale. And that's what he's got in his pockets. And that's the difference. You see the difference between, you're talking about like Livingston's form being poor, you still never worry about them because you know he's going to pull something out of the bag. You know that he, he always has a really calm demeanour. Martindale. I don't know if that's the same in the background. I'm not claiming to be privy to that sort of knowledge, but I never see him seem that he gets really particularly worried when they go on these really, really bad runs. And you're always just waiting for, for it to just switch over. Um, it'll be really interesting to see if he's if he's ever going to get the balls, get the bloody balls, David Martindale, to put Nubley and Anderson out on the pitch together because he seems to have really, really been against doing that. But um, with, with Anderson, again, it's just it was actually a fun weekend to see with Nisbet and Anderson, two strikers, being absolutely deadly when given the opportunity because 
there's been a real lack of that this season. I know that Shanklin's had a lot of goals in, in Kyogo and we had Cholak, but outside of that, it's been really quite poor in the, in the striker sense. There's not been there's not been really many that would get you really excited about it, and it's good to see that Nisbet's come back and and he, he's not missed a beat. His finishing looks better than it was certainly pre-injury. Um, and and especially that third one when he roofs the net and similar with Anderson the way that that cross from Bradley and he's got an assist and Livingston just know this guy Bradley nobody's ever bothered about him at Hibs and he's went to Ireland but you knew when he came to Livingston he will do something he will do something and gain, gain them points you just knew it and there you go right away he puts the cross in that Anderson does so well such an intelligent way of stabbing that towards the goal there's some strikers that would want a, to take a touch on that, and it and it would all go tits up really quickly in an embarrassing way, which would have been a laugh, but that's not what happened. Uh, and then Anderson, yeah, as he said, deadly as well, going in the outside and just drilling it across the goalkeeper. Um, so hopefully we'll have a few more strikers who we can uh, get a bit more excited about. It's, a, it's an interesting, before we move on, sorry, it's interesting you say that, Tony, about taking it first time, because in the first half, Anderson had an opportunity where he did take a first touch, and it ended up closing the angle. Wade Law was able to make a save, and it, it was sort of cleared away. And then, obviously, on the second occasion, just deadly, like you say. So it's almost like in-game learnings as well. You know, it's like how do you how do you try and do things differently as a striker to to make sure you put the ball in the back of the net. And like yourself, Tony, I'm a I'm a big Bruce Anderson fan. So good to see him back in the score sheet, back in the you know back in the goal trail as well. Because I think you know Martin Dale obviously said quite recently, you know Joel Newbley is our one goal threat, and it was like oh, okay, that's that seems a bit pointed at the other uh, Livingston players. So obviously. You know, that's enough of a rocket for, for Anderson to come in and just be super effective as a striker and a proper number nine. Just he's Kenny Miller, man. He's Kenny Miller. Um just just a just a, a slightly worse well, a lot worse version, let's be pretty honest. <laughs> so myself and Rob were able to watch quite a lot of Motherwell against Hibs in the pub on Sunday because when we arrived at the pub we hadn't had a drink yet. And as Rob said, he had a Orange lemonade, I had one as well. So the, the alcohol hadn't even really taken effect by the time that the, the match had finished. That was not the case when the Rangers match had kicked off. Three so, hours later. Yeah, so my my, my knowledge was of this that game... five, six pints yeah. in pub mode? In pub mode, they can get, can get quite quick. Uh, 30 to 40 minutes a pint. My, my knowledge of this game is a bit weak, Rob. I'm, I'm guessing yours is a wee bit similar. You were playing pool. I think you were playing pool with a random. <laughs> uh, I played was... pool with a random that overlapped at the start of the game and then uh, I was really hungry and the pub didn't sell food so I had to rip round the Sainsbury's and get a sandwich. So yeah, I missed the first 15 minutes as well. But Tony, you were sitting in the house watching this. What did you oh. think of this game? Uh, right, okay then. The pressure has come. Uh, <laughs> um, let's have a look at it. Well, firstly, I think we have to do something and it's, it's difficult. It's difficult to do but maybe we have to say well done to Mark Benigetti. We have to do it at some point, and that's now what well, since the since the change over of the of the World Cup for, from the break, he's come back. Dundee United they'd had two clean sheets uh, in in a row. One of, uh, one, after, of the, one, of, one of the form teams in the league until this two 0 defeat. Yeah, and uh, obviously they drew two two with Hearts, but he'd not been at fault for anything. And again in this game, he looked really really comfortable. He looked calm. His footwork was good when he was catching the ball. He looked like there wasn't going to be all hell was going to break loose. And you can hopefully this maybe looks like the point where the, the, the rest of the team sort of feel a bit more comfortable around them. Um, fingers fingers crossed, because they're still going with the back three. They had they had Smith in there um, and, and Edwards and, and, and Scott McMahon. And I, I was pretty impressed with Dundee United in the first half. They made a... 
they made a maybe a pretty big call. I mean, Tony Watt getting benched after sort of scoring the winner out of pretty much nothing. Uh, the week before against the Johnston, you think that's a bit unfair, but they went with Stephen Fletcher, and and I get that. In a game against the old firm, I'd say that Fletcher, you've got two options really as your as your strikers. You either go for someone who's quick over the top, and you're just going to try and play off them and go in behind them every time and give Rangers or Celtic the ball back every time, or you go with a striker who you feel that you can actually use. You give the ball into him and he can get you up the pitch and you can maybe alleviate some strain and you can actually try and create chances in the sort of more normal fashion through through your build-up play. And I think ultimately it was the right decision. I think in the first half, Fletcher was holding the ball up really well. He was bringing in Middleton into the game and, and the, they were using the McMahon and Smith were actually breaking forward out of the back three. Um, and I was quite impressed with the way that they were approaching the game. Rangers were absolutely fucking dreadful in the first half. Like, really, Cholak up there, I mean, he's been injured, and, and boy, did you could you see it. I mean, he was just lumbering back and forward across the 18-yard line. I mean, it's been a criticism of, of Cholak since he arrived is maybe how lethally he wants to get involved in the game. And I think it shows up sometimes, especially when you play away from home at Rangers, when they maybe have to earn things a bit more. They have to earn that ability to to sort of completely overlay and dominate teams. And for Because a lot of time when it goes at Ibrox and stuff, teams just wilt early in the first 15 minutes and Cholak scores and then and then it's the floodgates open and it's 3 or 4 now. But um, at Rangers, it was just really stodgy. They couldn't move the ball. Jack couldn't get the ball forward quick enough. Everything was being done at a snail's pace. And to be honest... I would say that Dundee United created the, the best chances. Smith Smith had one in there and early. They got a few crosses into the box where it looked like they were really unlucky to score. Um, but then halftime, Rangers got the got the rocket up the arse. And I think Ryan Jack, especially um, from from my opinion, he made a, a sort of massive difference uh, at halftime. And then Morelos going up front, he just he's he's like the he's, he sets the he sets he's like a matchbox. He just sets it off. Everything starts happening around him, even whether he's not involved. He starts making things happen. He's 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 he's, he's never not involved. Morelos. He's always doing something. Some of it's negative, but he's always doing something on that park. And and Rangers really needed that there because it was got so stodgy. And then they just a two minute period they they blow Dundee United away and, and you see the difference. Sakala had a few chances before where he totally mucked, mucked them up because he had time and just seeing the, the ball for Barisic and really clever for Jack for the goal. He just sort of lets it sort of come off his shoulder almost just to take the pace off the ball and then it's just flick up and, and smash for Sakala and that's when Sakala's at his absolute best and, and out of anyone, um, I think those two players that I just mentioned there, Ryan Jack and Sakala have benefited the most by quite some distance in Michael Beale's arrival, and possibly Morelos as well. Rob, that goal, very aesthetically pleasing, wasn't it? Oh, I, I, I love goals like that. I really do. I think it's it's almost like the the disbelief of the, the player moving at such a faster rate than the opposition as well. So Sakala sprinting into the box and just getting that separation in blue against Tangerine. But the, the way that he hits it, as it's coming back down on the left foot, on the half volley, dipping over the goalkeeper into the back of the net, it's just, it's a really nice thing to watch. And it's such a clear, sorry, such a clean strike that he gets on it as well. Um, and then obviously the big knee slide celebration, it, it had it all. And, and like Tony's saying, you know, fashion was uh, fine, fine under Van Bronckhorst. He was fine. Like it would sometimes affect games, sometimes he did nothing. 
he's been given a bit more. It almost feels like more responsibility under Michael Beale. It's like, no, do you know what? You are going to play on the left. You're going to be cutting in from that side and you're going to be creating and you're going to be scoring goals. That's your job now. Go and do it. And it feels like it feels like that responsibility is rubbing off on him a wee, a, a wee bit as well. And he's, he's good fun. Like, he's fun to watch. He's rapid. He's unpredictable. Really unpredictable to the extent whereby I don't think he knows what he's doing. Uh, half the time, he just sort of lets the ball lets the ball come off his feet and sees what happens. But um, no, it was a great goal, thunderous finish. And then the way Rangers were able to just sort of turn the screw for five minutes after that and get the second, even before Tillman scores, they had a couple of chances before that. They were just, they were rushing over the top of Dundee United and, and using that momentum. And I really sort of, the Rangers fans listening will love this, in a way that reminds me of Celtic under Postacoglu, uh, whereby you score one and then you do not switch off. Like that is the that is the opposite of what you do. That is then you're smelling blood and you're going for more. Other teams in the Scottish top flight maybe score a goal and then think, right, okay, this is good. Let's sit back. Let's see what the opposition is going to do now. Nah, they just absolutely went for it, ran over the top of them, got the second goal, killed the game, and and that was basically it from from there on in. So I think you know you can see that that difference in mindset from the players as well coming from Beal um, is as positive as anything else that that's coming from uh, from Rangers. Tony, why are you laughing at me? That that second goal, man. Um, obviously, it, it's good. I mean, Jack Jack sort of picks it up and drives forward, and then it goes in. But when it gets saved, why does Ryan Kent jump over the ball? Like it's absolutely mental. He's got an open goal to put the ball into, and even if the defender gets there first, you absolutely have to fucking challenge to try and like get force that ball in. But he just jumps out the way. Tony, and I'm not going to do that. Tony, he knew he knew what was coming. His his game <laughs> intelligence is such that. Uh, do, you, do you remember that uh, that gritty no look back heel pass for Ronaldo? Was <laughs> for Real Madrid. That yeah. that was basically the the equivalent of that. He just he knew he didn't have to touch the ball, mate. That was it. Lee, Lee, Lee Johnson's football IQ Ryan uh, Kemp's got it in, in abundance uh, so he didn't even he had nothing to worry about Tillman's going to pop in well on a, on a Lee Johnson theme Tony you did I know for a fact because you, you said it in the group chat that you were querying the comments made by Michael Beale that were in Sunday's newspapers about how Ange Postacoglu is a and this is the word they used a lucky man because of the amount of money that he's been given to spend at Celtic, I just I think he, he, he's he's talking a fair bit about Celtic at the moment, and I totally get it. They're their main rivals, and you start the jibes, and you you do your mind games and all that. But I think it's like going too early. You just there's no there's no there's there's so little to gain from it now, and he's like it's like he's just going to blow hot air, and then when he has to do it next season. Everyone will fucking heard it all before, and it won't have any sort of impact. So I find it all a, a bit weird. It's like he's doing it. Now. Rangers are not going to catch Celtic, pretty much guaranteed. There's essentially a 10 point gap between them. So I would just be focusing on getting my team really good, um, getting positive vibes with, with my fans, getting them on side, and not really worrying about sort of Postacoglu because Postacoglu is good at this point. Postacoglu, don't get me, Postacoglu is there to be rattled, and I believe in the heat of the battle, if they can get toe-to-toe with them next season, that they could gain something from from, from these barbs and, and, and having these jibes. But right now, from the position that Postacoglu's in, he will enjoy that, and he'll just be able to make Michael Beale look a wee bit desperate. And I just don't think... I just think he's got so much more stuff to be doing than he doesn't have to be worrying about sort of like 
noising up Celtic, who are t- basically 10 points clear uh, and are, are winning all the time. And and really, when you come to the checkbook stuff, aye, they've spent a lot of money, but also, I mean, they signed about four good players for the same amount of money they've signed Yildaz for. Uh, and so like, when you start boiling it down, it doesn't always look good um, from, from a Rangers, Rangers point of view. They've spent uh, some big money on big players recently that hasn't been good at all. And and just because Celtic have spent money, they've got it right a lot of time. He's, they've been right to give Postacoglu the money to spend. It's went extremely well. So I, I don't I, I don't really know what point he wants to make and what the barb is. It just it's all a bit pointless I, to me. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm post, still... sorry, sorry, Rob, sorry, Rob. I just wanted to say Postacoglu could definitely be be got at because I think we've started to notice recently that he is starting to come down with a real case of Parkhead and Oyer. And um, to, to be fair, Rob, I, I don't know if you were going to say much. I was going to move on to the next game. Is there anything you wanted to add? No, no. All I was going to say is I'm, I'm still convinced that Yilmaz is the real-life version of Yerdar Selzabon, uh, the, 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 the made-up guy for Aberdeen. <laughs> I'm, still, uh, I'm still not convinced he's real. Uh, no, please do continue. Well, the Masonic Conspiracy took a week off because Celtic were able to defeat Kilmarnock by two goals to the nil at on Saturday with... I was going to say a little little fuss in the end because the goals came very quickly right at the end of the first half, not long into the second half. There wasn't anything coming back for Kilmarnock from that, as I'm sure you could expect. But having watched this game, Celtic were pretty poor in that first 45 minutes. And for Kelly, you've got to be kicking yourself that you didn't make it to halftime because it's really the first proper chance at Celtic create. They did have some half chances prior to that and they did have a goal disallowed. But the majority of them were kind of mistakes from Kelly in possession playing bad passes, relinquishing it far too cheaply deep in Celtic territory where it's always going to be a problem. Other than that, I thought Kelly's shape was very good. There was a certain flatness to Celtic with Rio Hotati, feels like I say this every week, easily the best player in the park. He was the only one that kind of met the required tempo with some really sharp, crisp passing, knocking about the park very well, playing that kind of quarterback role. But you think Killer are going to make it to halftime, then at halftime the player's are going to be a bit buoyed, but you know, a bit more confident. Right, lads, let's keep it keep it tight for an R15 and then let's, you know, put some players forward, try and create some chances, see if we can actually come away with a famous victory here. Nope. Mayo falls asleep, allows Maida in behind, and what, what interested me was that was bad enough because there's not really anything to distract about. I looked back at the goal a few times and I was wondering if there was some other player that kind of came into his vision that he was like, oh, maybe I have to worry about him. No, he knows made us there. He's just watching the ball. He, then he, I don't know, thinks about what he's going to have for tea that night or whether he left the back door open. It, it just completely falls asleep. Maida makes the run. It's a good pass. But it's at the other side of the back three. Chris Stokes points, before the pass is made, Chris Stokes points to his left. So it must be saying Mark Jota. And then the play advances and you see more of the action. And you can see that Christine is then about five yards behind Jota and he's pointing at Jota. But by this point, Stokes has moved into the centre. He's following the run of Aaron Moy. He's coming in late in the penalty area. Christine needs to bust a gut to try and get back and get level with Jota. Instead, he points, jogs. And then when Jota scores, he's like, oh, no. How, how could that have happened? And then the goalie, the goalie does the weird thing where he thinks he's just going to be able to just pick it up, like no, like nobody's going to be around. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, I'm just going to pick that up, and then we'll we'll, we'll carry on. Um, but yeah, it was uh, after all the work, especially that the I think they 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 spoke about it in on sports scene about the midfield three 
uh, like protecting the defence for all that time and how tiring that must have been after you've done all that and then you turn around and the defence drops like three of them drop a clanger in the last kick of the in the, the half. Um, yeah, you're you're not coming back from that. I think in, in that environment at Celtic when it's been that tough to do it, you're just waiting and Celtic could have scored. Bucket loads in the in the second half. What well, they hit the woodwork about four times. Yeah, um, and then just the yeah the the not the norm just happened. But just you be, if you're McKinnish, you're 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 gutted, man. I'm just so everything you worked on is working extremely well, and then three guys sell the jersey all at the same time. But it's just that you just you just you cannot sleep in the slightest ever again, Celtic. And that uh, you know you fall asleep once, then you've basically lost the game. That's it. That's how that's how effective they are. And that's, you know, you can't blame individuals too much for that because there's a reason that they are playing for Kilmarnock and not Celtic because sometimes little mistakes like that are made. If you're going to beat Celtic at Celtic Park this season, you need a huge amount of luck because they're just that good. I don't feel like in that first half Celtic left second gear. They were coasting. And, and you know, they weren't really absolutely hammering tongs, going for it, going for it, going for it. They were just, they were doing enough to basically say like, right, okay, probably have this team where we want them. Oh, look, we've scored. Great. Nice one. That's, us. That's three points up, <laughs> up the road. And then the second half, you know, Kelly are, are obviously going to be pushing a little bit more and, and trying to get the, the ball into channels and, and all that kind of stuff. And when you do that, you dedicate men, which means that everything's going to come back your way. Sam Walker made some brilliant saves. He also had a, a really funny moment where he just punched it into the middle of the box, despite the fact he was also in the middle of the box. Celtic nearly scored from that. So, you know, there, there was a little bit of uh, hilarity in there as well, but I just feel like, you know, I feel like every time we talk about Celtic playing at Celtic Park, we, we do the same segment of a podcast, which is essentially, oh, they were able to get the ball low into the box and then Jota slash Kilgo slash Maeda scored and then Celtic found it easy from there on in. It just, it's rinse and repeat just now uh, and it's going to take something special for that to stop uh, in terms of teams playing at Celtic Park. One, one final thing to talk about before we move on. This was the debut. He was thrown right into the starting 11 of Kyle Vassell who has joined Kilmarnock. He signed for the club on January 1st. He is a forward. We all know that Kilmarnock's forwards this season, with Scott Robinson being injured for the most part, have either been too shite or too sectarian to play. And so Vassell has been brought in. He's a bigger guy, looks to win headers, throw his weight around, but he also quite likes to get it down and, and run at players, which is what we all saw in this game. We also saw that he likes to run down blind alleys. Uh, he also looked a bit slow and cumbersome to me. That might be a lack of fitness. And I really wasn't really that sure about his first touch either, or his touch in general. So a, a bit of a mixed bag. It should also be said though he was against Cameron Carter Vickers and Carl Starfelt. So yeah, yeah, going straight up against the best defender by a fucking country mile in the country straight away. <laughs> so he's going uh, to have easier afternoon. So we, we shall wait to judge him fully. It's good fun with, with Maida though. Maida's like a man possessed since he came back for the World Cup. He had a good time out there and now like he just won't stop running, he won't stop dribbling. He's 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 fucking brilliant, actually, Maida. Right. Talking about somebody who is clearly brilliant, Duke. Yes. Tony, Tony you're the only one of us three that managed to catch this match. Aberdeen two, St Johnston nil. What did you think of it? Um I quite enjoyed myself. I mean, I think Duke's my favourite player to to watch in the league, pretty much bar none. And could the old firm players in that because there's just something a bit more special about watching a player outside the old firm who's got quite so much to, to his game and, and is quite so confident 
and 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 his ability and his his willing to like sort of pick up the ball and just he does all sorts does all sorts of different things. But I'll come on to that more. St Johnston done that thing again, you know, where they just totally don't take part in the match whatsoever for an entire half. And and I thought that I've seen it before, and they got away with it in quite spectacular fashion when when they beat Hibs at Easter Road uh, in that Friday night game. And I had a feeling that that was going to happen again because Aberdeen made uh, three really good chances, and well, four including the goal that got disallowed. Um, but their biggest issue was obviously Miofsky's just not in the same. He just his, his confidence is shot. I think at the moment I'm not, I'm not a huge Wojowski fan in general. He's not my the type of striker that I like, but he is a goal scorer and he and he's he's very much one thing I do like about him is he, he's disciplined in his role. He he will stay in the central part of the team and that works quite well with Aberdeen because obviously they've got Duke who just wants to to pop up everywhere. But Wojowski um, should have scored a couple and. The main issue for for Sir Johnston for that would be Liam Gordon, who has forgotten how to be a footballer. I don't know if he was being looked after to to wild positions by McCart <laughs> and Kerr all those years back, but now he's sort of like looks vulnerable. He's he's shockingly bad. Like he can't do anything right. He gets he got under the ball maybe four or five separate occasions over the course of the game. And that's your centre half in the middle of a back three. That is the only thing that when when you it's just he was frighteningly bad at all parts of it. He was doing that thing, you know, when you're permanently apologizing. And he just had his had his hands up. Basically like he scored against his former club at all times. <laughs> uh like that. and and they've got a real, real, real issue, uh St Johnston at the moment with that. They they they, they welcome back Tony Gallagher, which I think's a really big deal for them. I mean I'm no James Brown fan. I think everyone knows that, but he has plugged a gap out there at left wing back uh, for them, and and that's been all right. And Sir Johnston have managed to pick up some points. Will Will Gallagher out? But it gives him a lot better balance having a a proper left footer playing out there. But again, without Clark in that team up front, they are like May is just like I feel sorry for him. It gets absolutely desperate for him. Well, there's a really good thread on Twitter. From it was either Sunday morning or Saturday night from terrace contributor Jamie Beatson, where he was complaining about how Callum Davidson is again managing to shoot himself in the foot. Davidson's a really weird manager. He does like he's obviously done some incredible things with St. Johnson, and even this season, because I've said it numerous times, I think the the collective talent on this squad is very low, and to be performing outperforming it as much as they they certainly were until this kind of recent bad run. He obviously deserves credit for that. He maybe should do a bit better in the transfer market and re- recruiting players of a higher standard. But that, that's a that's a different story for another time. But with, like stuff like this, and obviously like winning the two cups, but then last season nearly getting relegated by a team that probably shouldn't have been that bad. And now in the last few games, and this is what Jamie was talking about. So he had a team where he would play Clark and me up front. Those two somehow don't know how it works, but really seem to get the best out of each other they would be backed up by a midfield three that would be based mainly around three players who could pass the ball. So in some games you had like Adam Montgomery, Graham Carey and Milka Harburg or, or David Witherspoon in there or, you know, even like Cammy McPherson could go in there, Ali Crawford had ability, but then he, he picks, but then he goes back. He goes back to the 3-4-3 and he initially starts it off with a midfield two of Ryan McGowan and Ali Crawford. And it's like, Crawford can't stop anybody. 
And McGowan's not exactly going to be the best passer of the ball. Compared McGowan's McGowan's useless in there as a centre midfielder. I'm I'm sorry, I know he's a a fan and and he's done lots of good things in his career, but he's just lumbering about fouling people. Is is all he's doing in that in that position? See when he had them in the back three, he's been really useful for them this season again. And I'm talking about they've got their their shoehorn and Gordon back into the team, who's been appalling this season. They could have Mitchell playing that role, and McGowan could be playing that central. They could even playing Witherspoon, and it's not a lack of options. As you're saying quite rightly there, it's the frustration for the fans will be that this is choice. This isn't things that are being opposed upon them with, with Davidson. And yeah, like the 3-4-3, they could get anywhere near. Carey was taken out of the position he's been doing quite well to play a sort of left-wing role where he couldn't get onto the ball. He couldn't impact the game whatsoever. He was mainly playing a defensive role at times. And then Jamie Murphy was, was straight back in. You've got... Wotherspoon on the bench, who surely like confidence is really, really high. I know there's rumours about him signing a pre-contract at, at Dundee United. I don't know how true that is. But he's but again in time, if you're struggling with that, if you're not going to play Clark to bring the link with me, then Wotherspoon's probably the next best option. He can take the ball in tight areas, he can carry the ball, it'll create that link because all they're able to do is just defend and then clear it up the line <laughs> that's and they, that's all they do and then May just starts running around like an arsehole because that's what May does He's, he works his bloody socks off and just you're just sitting there and like, none of it makes sense and like I said it's just like they take zero when they play like this and they play this shape they don't take any part in the game it's just they, they, they play like what everyone else does when they go to Parkhead that's what they do and they just give the ball back to the opposition over and over and over again but they do have so I think they're so adept at playing deep defensively that it might take that team a bit of time to be able to break them down. And sometimes they might not even break them down, even though they're playing possibly in the worst fashion to watch that you could possibly think of. Uh, but they it, it, it sort of worked against this time because they took Mayovsky off and that put Duke into that more central area. And then they were able to just lump the ball. <laughs> they were just able to lump it down Gordon's throat. He would panic again. And then this time they had... Bazayan and, and Duke who weren't going to make any mistake and Duke makes a really really good finish for that first goal he just like doesn't he doesn't worry about getting out of his feet he takes, takes it early and he scores but um, I mean do you have any more to say about St Johnson before I go on a bit about Aberdeen no 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 go, go to Aberdeen now um, obviously Shinny's debut I think we have to we have to touch on on that um, I think that would be a massive signing for them for, for, for numerous reasons um, I think firstly I always think when I've watched Aberdeen this season, I think Joel mentions this quite a lot, is that they're, they're good when teams sit off them, which isn't sort of like the most obvious thing. I mean, normally you, the teams prefer like Hibs, Hibs, for example, when they've been, I'll use them as an example, when they've been at their best, when teams maybe come on a bit and they, and they can counterattack them. But I think Aberdeen, when teams sit deep against them, they've, they've had it quite a lot their own way. But then when it becomes quite combative and people go sort of toe-to-toe with them, they've, they've kind of shucked it a bit, especially, which which sort of matches up with their home form and their away form and the way that teams would would, would like line up against them. But Shinny brings that combative element that if people want to go toe-to-toe, he's more than happy to to go ahead and do that. And that's his sort of bit about, he fucking loves it. Let's be, let's be honest. Um, he also releases Clarkson in, in, in like a role where he doesn't have to really do he can play that proper number 10 role because Shinny can do, even at his age, he was getting around the park, no problem. He was able to do enough so him and Ramadani were, were fine in there, especially against that St. Johnston midfield. Uh, but that meant that Clarkson was able to play at number 10. Not that he was spectacular, Clarkson. We had a few nice flicks. He creates Mayovsky's really big chance earlier on. 
you see Shinny, he's so proactive, goes after the ball. I mean, that's what creates the... He presses and wins the free kick, which gets them create the chance for the for the disallowed goal, which was really unfortunate. I mean, it's awful defending. I mean, he's rolled the ball in from 30 yards. I know he's kind of offside and maybe that helps, but I think if he's a foot more, he would still be able to do exactly the same thing, Duke, and he would still be able to score that goal. Um, so there's so many reasons. And then Ramadani's got someone in there beside him who can help to go to war a bit with, with him. And then Ramadani can concentrate because Ramadani is like a really nice player to watch. He, he, he can control the tempo a bit of the game. So Shinny's going to bring balance. He's going to bring aggressiveness and he's going to release other players' abilities for, and, and allow them to play in a further forward position. So I think he's going to be a really, really key signing. And you could see it right away in Aberdeen's performance um, on Saturday there. Right, so let's move on to our final game, which was St Mirren 1, Hearts 1 from Saturday. Rob, we're going to throw it over to you soon enough to talk about Hearts, but I'm going to start by talking about St Mirren's performance for this one. St Mirren in the first half in particular, I thought were excellent. They have been excellent at home pretty much all season. They lost the first game to Motherwell, but I think they actually played pretty well and were unlucky to lose. And since then, they have reeled off 10 undefeated now, including playing both Celtic and Rangers, of course, the only team to defeat Celtic in Scottish football so far this campaign. The real standout for this game, Alex Gogic in the middle of the park. The the game plan from St Mirren was to stop Robert Snodgrass from dictating everything. And they did a very good job of that. They did struggle a little bit after Snodgrass himself scored with a cross come shot, which he himself was happy enough to admit was definitely a cross. It was a complete fluke goal. But then after that, Snodgrass started to get a bit, bit more space started to dictate things and Hearts were really in the ascendancy at that point. But then even after that, St Mirren still, again, managed to hurry him into mistakes and that's what they've been doing for the majority of the match with Gogic, really the kind of perfect guy to go up against Snodgrass and do that because not only does he have the athleticism that Snodgrass lacks at this side of his career, he's also like, because if you're going to put Jason Holt up against Snodgrass, he could do that job in terms of being a pest and maybe nicking it off him occasionally. But Snodgrass is massive. Like, Snodgrass is the guy who's played in the English Premier League for years with all their nutrition and, I don't know, probably PEDs. And he's, absolute, he's an absolute tank. So it's easy for him to kind of, like, shove other midfielders off the ball while he's dominating it. He can't do that with Gogic because Gogic is also a big body as well. But there was other impressive performances. Alex Grieve missed a couple of really good chances, one in particular in the six-yard box, which he ballooned over. But he had a good game stepping in for Jonah Ayunga, who had been missing or had at least been on the bench the game before but was expected to come back in. But he had a late flare-up of a problem. Declan Gallagher was a late scratch. Joe Shaughnessy came in at the centre-back position, played really well. Ryan Strain was forced off during the game. Ryan Flynn had to come in and, and play at right wing-back and done a decent job as well. So some men were kind of having to patch things up. They also had to take Keanu Bacchus off because there was a bit of a threat that he might get sent off. So they, they, they were able to, to have to manoeuvre things around but they ended up putting in a, another good performance and especially with the chances they create in the first half, they're probably the of the two teams. Although Hearts looked like the team that was maybe going to go on and win it once it got one each, over the piece, they created the better chances and they can probably be the, the side that are a bit more miffed that they didn't take all three points. Rob, now over to you for the Hearts verdict. Okay. Um, I am glad that Hearts uh, have two set formations that they play with because the first formation did not work in the slightest. Uh, the sort of 3-4-1-2 uh, formation with the, the back three, uh, Sibic, Rules and, and Cochrane and then obviously the wing-backs. Uh, and on this occasion, we had uh, Alan Forrest starting at left wing-back, which is obviously very 
out of his uh, comfort zone, Michael Smith on the other side, and then Barry McKay behind uh, Josh Nelly, who I'm just going to count as a centre-forward now. To be honest, that seems to be his position in, in, in Lauren Shankland. But Hearts just weren't able to get into any rhythm whatsoever with that formation. Um, Gogic, uh, as, as Fowler uh, rightly mentioned, was, was superb. But Mark O'Hara and Keanu Bacchus uh, in that first half and when St Mirren were on top were both superb as well because it didn't matter if it was Snodgrass or or Barry McKay, any Hearts ball player wasn't being given any time or space whatsoever. Countless amount of times that Hearts worked it down the left-hand side in between the likes of Snodgrass, McKay and Ginelli and they just didn't have any space. They had nowhere to go because St Mirren's game plan was working absolutely perfectly. It was really frustrating. It was really poor watching Hearts and, and you know, Snodgrass uh, is sort of key to all of this. It was his mistake uh, getting pushed and pressured by Gogic that led to St Mirren getting the free kick that they then scored from. So Snodgrass was sort of quite a key uh, figure in, in both goals in the game because eventually when he does get some joy, it's, it's the second phase after a corner kick, comes out to him on the left and it's a, a cross that, that sort of almost wind assisted. It was really windy as well, uh, bounced into the far corner. But the main thing that got Hearts back into the game was a change of system. And that's why I mentioned Hearts having two formations that they are comfortable enough with uh, with sort of getting out there. And they almost went to a, a, a standard 4-4-2 formation. Barry McKay on the, the left-hand side, on the right-hand side, uh, who even was it? it was, uh, sorry, it was Janelle and Shankland uh, up front anyway. And Hearts were able to just go to a 4-4-2. And, and that... Forrest on the right? Ah, you're forgetting about the player that you want to forget about, Rob. Oh yes, of course, Alan Forrest. I, I nearly scored though. Um, but yeah, Hart, Hart, right, when he should have when he should have cut it back to Barry McKay. But that, uh, yeah, but that the, the sort of beauty of of the way that Hart set up just now is that Alex Cochran is playing as a, a, an inverted sort of left centre half, which means that if we do need to change formation, he can just slot into left back. You've got two centre halves, natural centre halves there, and Michael Smith, who's a, a natural right back, a defensive right back. That's his his best position, better than right wing back. And when Hart did that, automatically Barry McKay had time and space. You know, they, they weren't able to get as close to Barry McKay. Robert Snodgrass was able to d- d- dictate the game a little bit more. But even then, Hearts didn't create enough. They, they didn't do enough in the final third to properly say, we absolutely should have won this game. There was no huge, big opportunities that you're pointing at. Lauren Shankland was, he was off the boil uh, a couple of times that, that he had the opportunity to shoot and he didn't take it. He was almost looking for the, the final pass, the clever pass to a Stephen Humphreys or a Josh Dinelli or, or whoever was ahead of him and you just think listen mate you're on 18 goals for the season just hit it at goal it might go in that's the sort of form you're in he wasn't doing that and it was it was a shame because he's been so so impressive uh, since since signing in the summer but Hearts just looked they, they huffed and puffed and they were coming up against a team that is absolutely at home at home a team that knows how to stress out and how to frustrate any team that they come up against be that Hearts Rangers Celtic whoever and they did that really, really effectively. So I'm not, I'm not going to talk about too much how, how poor it was from a Hearts perspective. I think you need to give a lot of credit to St Mirren because they put an awful lot into that game. And, I, you know, I, it's an easy thing to say that anyone will find it hard there. Everyone has found it hard at St Mirren so far this season. Uh, horrible place to go, especially when you've got these, these big sort of hard runners that they've got in their team. I think Charles Dunn played well as well. I haven't really mentioned him yet up against his, his best mate, Josh Dinelli. So... Yeah, a poor day at the office for Hearts, but you'll take a point. You hundred percent take a point coming out of that. I'd game. say I'd say that's a point gained for Hearts yeah. um, when things are all told. When I when I saw everything that, that that happened and I was sort of reading up about how the first half went and saw the highlights, 
Um, it was already a really hard place to go to to get three points. Anyway, I'd be I'd be well happy to just get out of dodge with, with, with a point in that environment. Marcus Fraser's red card, my favourite by a fucking country mile this season. What's the plan, sir? Absolutely, it is as, as aggressive as you're going to see to, 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 for someone to make that decision. And I do kind of agree what they were saying on sports scene. I do think it was like quite half hour at the end, and maybe there was a midway in the air going like, "What the fuck have I actually decided to do here?" Uh, but you're already <laughs> on the way. Uh, but like, I, I, I just can't remember the last time I saw someone sort of. To do that, <laughs> do that. I, mean, I couldn't believe it when I saw it back. It was honestly, he, he bunny hopped straight onto George Grant's <laughs> leg. Uh, he, he vaulted his own man to do it. But then Marcus Fraser got up and immediately started motioning with a two footed jump. And I was like, mate, that's what you did. That's not what George Grant <laughs> did. You did that. You just, you just did that, you fucking idiot. Sheer lunacy. And, and honestly, as well, Hearts broke up the park after that. Hearts could quite have easily gotten a decent opportunity out of the fact that they were completely then disjointed at the back. It was lunacy from Marcus Fraser. Uh, just, aye, wild. I mean, George Grant goes in quite hard in the initial challenge. He gets a yellow for it, which is you know probably fair. He goes in a wee bit too hard. It's not for me. I think he wins the ball. But the way that Marcus Fraser acts afterwards was hilarious. And then the fact that when he got his red card, he was the only one complaining. No St. Mirren player was like, ah, come on, ref. They were all like, aye, good. You know, that's kind of fair enough, actually. Even 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 if Stephen Robinson probably even thought that was too aggressive, uh, and that's saying something. Yeah. But it, uh, it was it wasn't a great spectacle of a game. It was an interesting one tactically, um, but I think a point of piece is probably fair at the end of it. And it's just hilarious to see that Curtis Main's now a dangerous striker again. And Scotch people watching the game, and and every time I see somebody and, and Main's involved, he, he he looks like a fucking massive handful again, uh, and not just in a sort of like burling sense, as like elbows and stuff. I mean, like getting the ball out wide and driving at fullbacks and putting like drilled crosses across the like, you're fucking quite good, actually. Um, well, it's, it's, enough, it's, Robinson. It's, it's almost like he's playing exactly how he did under Stephen Robinson at Motherwell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right, he's got the manager. Yeah. The manager that gets a bad red card in every single week. But he can get everything out of Maine. No worries. Right, guys, I think that'll do us. Thank you very much to the two guys for joining me. Rob, thank you. I'm fucking knackered after that. I just swear. I'm saying it's the first thing I've done for, for a week. First thing I've done anything. I, uh, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm feeling refreshed, so thanks very much. <laughs> and thank you to everybody for listening. We are not going to record a Patreon because we've got plenty of stuff lined up for the rest of the week, so there will be lots of content going up on our Patreon site, just not a podcast immediately after this one. But if you'd like to check out all our years of content, and I'm pretty sure if you add all up, all the podcasts we've done, it probably does equate to several years. <laughs> then head over to patreon.com forward slash terrace podcast there are three tiers in which to choose from pick your best one and enjoy all the things that we have done on that since we launched it in god knows 2017 something along those lines yeah but that's us for now on the main show we'll be back again on thursday with hopefully unless anything goes wrong don't want to you don't want to kick your chickens but hopefully telfer and sean back with another review of the lower league weekend until then Goodbye, and I hope you enjoy your football. Cheers. Bye. Sports Social Podcast Network.